0: Podcast family, I've been in direct patient care and academic medicine for 23 years, and I like to say I've seen it all and I've heard it all, but every time I do, something else comes along and I'm like, oh, we're still doing X, Y, or Z, or that's still a thing? So yeah, every time I think that a discussion has already been taken care of, that a controversy has already been addressed... Well, I thought I'd seen it all and heard it all, but apparently not. So just the other day, actually yesterday in our university clinic, I saw an otherwise healthy 19-year-old who came in for some vaginal discharge. All right, pretty straightforward, right? She did have an IUD in place. And so right before we get into our exam, as we're going through our history and our Q&A, I say, hey, by the way, do you know when you get your first pap smear done as part of health education? I'm just giving you some information. And she said, yeah, 18. So said, well, that's interesting. I mean, how did you come up with 18? She said, well, that's when I had my first pap smear. And, of course, the bus that was tracking along, doing great, came to a halt. I, I said, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. What? You're 19 right now, which means you got a pap smear last year? And she said, well, yeah, my gynecologist said I needed a pap smear at 18. And this poor girl, I know she saw it on my face because I just flipped my lid. And so after discussing with her in a very, very polite, very understanding manner that she had an exam performed that was absolutely not necessary and not indicated. And after we went through that and she understood, okay, well, he wasn't harmful. Thankfully, it was normal. You think? Uh, and we're just going to wait to see, you know, what happens at age 21. All right. So hold on to that. So after we did that discussion, of course I said just just curious. You know what's coming, right, guys? Is it just curious? Um, please tell me that was not somebody on my team. I said no, no, no. This is back home in X City in in Texas. Okay. Oh, by the way, who's that provider? Just It's a small community. I'd like to know who that was. And so I got the provider's name. Okay. Okay. oh well, no, I don't know that provider personally, but you know, I'm sure she's uh, doing great. Well, of course we finished our rest of our uh, exam, which still had a second issue that I thought I'd heard at all, but apparently I hadn't. And I'm gonna tell you that in a minute, the second component of my surprise. But I do want you to know that yes, after the patient visit, I just couldn't help myself. Guys, look, it's all in the approach. All right. So I did find this provider's office number online. I did call and, in a very, very friendly way, said, Hey, doc, I'm, you know, thank you for what you're doing. I just saw one of your patients who's now one of our patients, ours meaning yours and mine, because we, we share her in patient care. Because I just saw her right now. Uh, And she informed me that, that uh, you had done a pap smear at 18. So I didn't think that was right. But, um, and she showed me, sure enough, her results. So I, I I believe her because I had the validation results. But I just wanted you to know that Papsmers at 18 kind of went away uh, in in 2013. Well, as you would expect, that led to brief radio silence on the other hand. (laughs) I mean, it was absolute crickets, okay? But finally, after that, and I, I know it was like probably like three to five seconds, okay? But to me, it seemed like 30 seconds. I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? But she did answer finally, and her answer was even more surprising. Okay? Now, guys, put this in perspective. The patient was now 19. She had this done at 18. This is his last year. But this is a 2022. This wasn't like 10 years ago. Y'all get this. So God bless this provider. I don't know her personally. uh, But, but these are physicians out there in the community all right here's was the answer that that i received uh she said well wait a minute aren't we doing age 18 i mean it used to be age it used to be three years after sexual initiation and no later than age 21 but so it isn't it 18 and that's where it hit me like a ton of bricks oh my goodness This is why maintenance of certification, even though it's controversial, even though some people don't like it, I love it. I think we need to do it. I think people need to read and we need to be graded on it. Because if not, you get this very well-meaning physician who's totally out of sync with current practice. So, yeah, guys, let's stop there for a minute. By the way, uh, and our topic is not about pap smears. See how I've totally derailed on this already? It's about pelvic exams and brand new data on that. But that's my second point. So we talked and said, you know, Doc, how did you come up with 18? I mean, it was a thing in 2013. That's when the guideline changed. But but it's been changed for uh, many years now. Actually, in 2018, all this changed to 21 and she said, Oh, well, oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I had heard about that. And then she was kind of, uh, you know, I, I felt a, a little, <laughs> a little defensiveness going on. So I backed off. I said, Well, anyway, doc, I, you know, I know you're busy. I know I'm, yeah, you know, I got to go too. I just wanted to just update you because more importantly than the fact that she had a test that probably wasn't indicated, I hope she didn't get charged for that because some, insur- some insurances may not have covered that based on age. So I'd hate for them to have directly have billed her and or her parents. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And she was very, very understanding. Of course, you probably hung up and then cursed my name, looked me up, and is probably sending me horrible emails as I do this podcast right now. But it has to be said, guys, look, and it's all in the approach. Can we just agree with that? Uh, that if I were have called and said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did, which is what I really want to do. Can't believe you did a pap murder on an 18-year-old. That's not how to win friends and influence others. All right? Can we just say right there? It's all in the Maybe she had no idea, and apparently she had no idea that paps were not done at 18. Okay, well, none of that is actually what I was going to talk about in this episode, but there it is. The second thing that threw me off is after we've covered that whole pap smear thing. uh, And again, we're at bedside Right, I'm talking. I'm about to do her vaginal exam and STI screening, which she elected to do, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, And I said, okay, well, I have a quick question for you now after the pap smear um like what else did she do did did she put like her little fingers inside the vagina she goes oh yes and then she's she smashed you know up on top of my by my stomach you know by my pelvic area aka she did a pelvic exam so i said okay that's called the bimanual a pelvic exam and i'm curious were you having any kind of pelvic pain or any kind of pelvic uh, uh complaints at that time she goes no i just went in really i came in before i was going to college just wanted to get checked and so she gave me a pap smear and, and did this finger exam in my vagina so asymptomatic. And then again, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, and so I explained the whole thing. So in this episode, <laughs> now we have landed at our destination. In this episode, we're going to cover a publication that came out ahead of print 24 hours ago. How about that, guys? So this came out on November the 9th in the Green Journal. Uh, this is a retrospective study validating, vindicating what the American Academy of uh, Family Practice, what the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, and what ACOG, and even the American College of Physicians, what they all have said about PEPIC exams for many, many years, which is, don't do it unless there's a specific concern and or complaint. This article is titled, Incidents of Abnormal Findings During Pelvic Examinations in Women Aged 21 to 35 Years. So let's stop there. This is not for some weird adolescent gynecological issue. That's not included. This is not for the 50-year-old who's been in menopause for two years and now having weird bleeding, right? Those are issues on, on either side. This is for peak reproductive age women, 21 to 35, and quote, routine pelvic exams, end quote, like this 19, then 18-year-old patient had, all right? So uh, if you're thinking, oh, this is gonna be kind of boring, I already know that. I mean, we know that it's limited data and a shared decision-making, and you don't do it unless there's a real indication. And definitely don't do it without patient consent. Uh, Yes, that's all fair. But now we have the data. So we're gonna cover here, the incidental finding remember incidental because she's asymptomatic now if they're symptomatic then you've got to do it i want to be very clear this is not in patients with complaints so they've got vaginal discharge if they've got weird bleeding if they've got dysmenorrhea dyspareunia then that's fair to do uh, in line with other evaluations like STI performance, VP3 analysis, pelvic ultrasound, whatever, right? But, but the idea here, this new publication that is uh, under the heading Research Letters from the Green Journal. Is for asymptomatic patients. So if you are still doing your annual exam, which patients still need annual exams, just not annual pap smears, and you're including an annual bimanual if they're asymptomatic. I said annual bimanual. That's like a good rap song, isn't it? The annual bimanual. I, wow, that's kind of catchy. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So the annual, so don't do the annual bimanual unless there's a patient complaint. Y'all get that? We get, we, we understand that. There's nothing new with that. But here's the data to back that up. We're going to talk about the history. We're going to touch about history on pap smears just a little bit because we talked about that. We're going to talk about bimanual exams and what was that uh, thought process when ACOG actually backed away from routine pelvic exams because that was a thing and I trained with that. Um, but obviously, it's not that anymore. And we're going to talk about, of course, uh, the value of doing this when there's an issue and likely the lack of value when there's no issues. So let's get into this new publication released ahead of print on November the 9th, 2023. The first author is Nicole Norby. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. member of FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. to get 30 30 to get 30 to get 20 20 20 I bet you get 20 20 to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. slash $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh my goodness. Let's just knock out the pap smear thing right now, all right? Yes, there's been changes to pap screening, of course. And for those of you who haven't been in practice long enough, it was a thing to initiate pap smears three years after the initiation of sexual intercourse, but no later than age 21, all right, how about that? So if a patient had sex for the first time at 14, then that mean technically by 17 would be the first pap. Yikes. I mean, that was way overkill. It was also overkill to do annual pap smears. That was a thing too. Now, annual paps still have a place in very select populations, but in general, of course, that's not done anymore. So three years after the initiation of sexual intercourse, that was a thing. But uh, yeah, not anymore. Then it went to age 18. Uh, Well, then that changed. uh, The last update was at the end of 2012, the start of uh, 2013, where... Uh, the, the screening guidelines said, you know what, yeah, there's no value to do that. All of those temporary low-grade abnormalities are going to go away. So let's start at 21. And remember that even 21 is controversial because uh, some organizations like American Cancer Society say, uh, no, you should actually start at 25. And and if you start at 25, that should be with high-risk HPV by itself. So th- look at all these different opinions and flavors, Okay. By the way, why did they, why did American Cancer Society not want to do primary HPV screening for high risk types between 21 and 24? Well, because there's a high rate of patients who had that anyway, and they're all going to resolve. Remember, 21 to 24, according to ASCCP, is considered a special population, very conservative care, unless, of course, it's CIN3. Um uh and and you can watch them, most of those are gonna go away. So, I mean, American Cancer Society has has a point. Well, you're gonna just watch them anyway, just watch them until they're past their 24th birthday and 25, and then start high-risk HPV at that time. Um, I, I don't do that. I stick with ACOG's most traditional, 21 to 29, is cytology every three years, and then after 30, it's co-testing every five. But You know, if if somebody wants to do high-risk HPV screening by themselves starting at 25, that's totally legit. ACOG recognizes it, and and that's absolutely fine. Now, that's all I want to say about that because the focus, of course, is on the pelvic exam issue. Having a daughter who is now 18, um, and as she now is going to her own doctor's appointments, as she should... Uh, and you know, she's part of her, uh, you know, own autonomy. It just drives me insane that this may be out there. Okay. So, and, and especially things for gynecological care. Now all I ask in every patient, that I say, look, I've got bad days. just like everybody else. But I, I always try to remember what if that's my daughter and that really keeps, keeps you one humble. It keeps you, um, uh, Uh, caring and empathic even though some patients can be difficult let's call it what it is right but the last thing that the gynecological exam needs is for us to not be evidence-based and not be following the data because we just make it worse when when we don't follow the rules. Uh, And especially at an academic center, right? I mean, gynecological pelvic exams are weird in and of themselves, or they can be if we don't prepare the patient, get her consent, and explain what's happening. And a a pelvic exam gone south, no, no pun intended, um, can can absolutely destroy future gynecological uh, 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 appointments for the patient and or impact negatively patient-physician trust. That's why not doing them when they're not necessary is, is actually a good thing, all right? Because the last thing we want to do is make it any more awkward than it already is. Are we decent? Hope not. I'm Dr. Vosh. I'll be performing your exam today. You ever been to the gynecologist before? No, and I mean, if we're being honest, um, the situation like down there is, it's just like a little bit different. (laughs) Don't be silly. Every vagina is a unique and beautiful gift. You can think of this room as a safe space. It's just gonna be me, you, Nurse Nora, and all my interns. Come on in guys. I am so excited to be here. Wait, what is going on? All right, Sarah, let's just put your legs and these here stirrups. Um, I'm being like pretty serious when I say that my situation—vagina. like Yes, my. Um, oh, it's this it's thing situ- out again. Land, land! Need a new bulb, Dr. Vaj. I do. I like, do. What is going on? This cannot be normal. Did you not hear me? I said my 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 front bottom. Vagina. Mm-hmm. Done! Now, I'm just going to stand in this corner for the rest of the exam to make sure that that doesn't happen again, all right? Thank okay. you, Lance. That's so kind of you. Oh, my goodness, guys. Uh, and We've just learned so much about how we communicate to patients regarding the gynecological exam, like not saying the word stirrups, right? I mean, stirrups, no one's riding a horse in there. It has weird connotations. So to call it what it is, I mean, they're footrests, they're footholders, foot, holders, what, foot uh, place placeholders, whatever you want to call it, but don't call them stirrups. And, you know, I work with a lot of medical students in addition to the residents and those in post-residency training. And the medical students, you know, God bless them, they're so nervous as they should be. And and I always tell the patient, hey, they're training. Do you mind if they, I'll be there with them. Is that okay? I mean, they've got to learn. I promise no one's going to harm you. And, and you know, vast majority of the time that the patients understand what's going on, they're, they're okay with it, all right? As long as there's not 20 people in the room. But one thing that's as cringeworthy is when a male or female student, it doesn't matter says okay everything looks good no please don't say everything looks good nobody wants to know that their vagina looks good it's just weird just say everything looks normal the anatomy is okay i don't see anything that's concerning uh just use your just normal stuff and it's weird that how easy does that come out right yeah it looks good Mm, probably don't want to say that so just just to be cautious and awareness it's it's very different than looking at somebody's throat obviously. And so words that we say matter. And that's why not doing an exam, which sounds so weird as a physician, right? Not doing an examination on a patient who's there for a gynecological visit is absolutely okay. If they are asymptomatic, if they are low risk, no family history, they have no active concern of anything, then let them go. But that doesn't mean don't do it never. Right, I mean, if there's weird bleeding, if there's weird discharge, if there's obviously pelvic pain, obviously there's an acute emergency like torsion. Come on, guys. Let's have some some sense here. But the idea is that routine pelvic examinations for a gynecological visit in a totally asymptomatic patient is is just not evidence-based. And now we have the evidence for that. The idea behind routine asymptomatic screening pelvic exams was legitimate. I mean, it's a great reason, to be honest. It makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, it didn't work. The, the whole purpose of doing a, a gynecological exam was to detect ovarian masses. Really, it was it was a screening test for ovarian malignancy. Th- that was the main thing, right? Because if a patient presents uh, or has symptoms of discharge, she you would think she'd come in for that. Weird bleeding, of course, they come in for that. But this was really meant to be a, a way to get on top of, of ovarian malignancy. Of course, that just didn't plan out. We all know that, right? For over 20 to 30 years, the data has shown that, yeah, you may find something, but the majority of the cases where you think you feel something, uh, you either don't or it's completely a benign issue. And of course, there's financial implications because you end up ordering uh, other tests. There's psychological, uh, you know, potential harms to the patient because now she's totally, you know, worried about something being uh, abnormal. So, the, the the heart of it, like everything else, right? You can have a great intention with horrible implementation. The intention was legitimate. Hey, we, we got to do something to try to find ovarian masses or true pelvic pathology, but the execution of it uh, didn't give the results that that we thought that it would back in 2018 ACOG released committee opinion 754 which was titled the utility of and indications for routine pelvic exam and the short of it is they're like hey pelvic exams are totally legitimate when there's a pelvic concern including vaginal discharge but otherwise in the completely asymptomatic patient that there just isn't enough evidence to say yes it's helpful or no it's it's uh, not helpful we just we just don't know enough so they left it as the famous words quote shared decision making just to be exact let me read you the exact wording from this committee opinion quote data from studies are inadequate to support a recommendation for or against performing a routine screening pelvic exam among asymptomatic non-pregnant women who are not at increased risk of any specific gynecological condition. Data on its effectiveness for screening for other gynecologic conditions is lacking, End quote. Now that's from the ACOG, which was again, the very political answer, right? We can either confirm nor deny that these work. I love that. Very PC, right? It's conflicting shared decision making. That's always the answer when the data is kind of great. But the American Association of Family Physicians and the American College of Physicians actually was a lot bolder than ACOG was in their recommendation against bimanual pelvic exam in the asymptomatic patient. The American Association of Family Physicians and the American College of Physicians both strongly recommend against annual pelvic exams in women who are low-risk, non-pregnant, and asymptomatic, quote, due to associated harms with their performance, end quote. If you want the references for those two statements, the one for the American College of Physicians came out in 2014 in Annals of Internal Medicine, and the one for AAFP was published in American Family Physician in 2015. So I hope you caught those years, 2014, 2015, 2018. So imagine my surprise that for this patient that we mentioned in our case scenario in 2022, this was still going on, and I'm sure it's going on uh, with some providers in your location, uh, and it's just a thing. Why? Because, again, trying to be a patient advocate, trying not to miss anything, it's just so ingrained in, in women's health care, in, in gynecology. Now, remember, I'm not saying not to do it. At all, there's definitely a time to do it if the patient has some kind of symptom during pregnancy. That's a whole other issue, but this doesn't apply to that. We're talking about asymptomatic non-pregnant women. And this study that we're about to get into right now, which is out of the Green Journal, again, released November the 9th, 2023, was specifically in that peak reproductive age of 21 to 35, all right? So, like, how is that peak reproductive age? Well, too early, you get early adolescent issues. Too late, over 35, it's pregnancy at advanced maternal age, or now it's just called pregnancy at age 35 or more because nobody liked the words advanced maternal age because words matter. So, anyway, so now we're at this research letter Incidents of Abnormal Findings During Pelvic Exam in Women Age 21 to 35. And I love what these authors state right at the beginning, because this is the whole issue that we're talking about here, right? So this poor patient who is otherwise absolutely healthy, non-obese, no medical issues, regular periods, uh, just went in for her pre-college exam, ended up with fingers in the vagina and a pap at 18, all right? No, that is not appropriate. And so what these authors state is exactly why we're doing this episode, right? So let me just read you the first paragraph from this study, this retrospective publication. Quote, The pelvic exam is a standard component of the annual gynecological visit, despite limited evidence supporting its utility. They go on to say, Pelvic examinations can be a source of discomfort and anxiety for some patients seeking just routine health care, whereas for others, they can offer reassurance, end quote. So you see, everything has its place. So everyone, it's like, you get a pap, hey, you get an exam, you get an exam too, like Oprah giving away free public exams. That's not correct. It shouldn't be universal. It should be targeted to a specific need. This was a retrospective chart review, and it wasn't a whopping like five years or 10 years. It was actually a pretty short duration. All right. So I almost hate to tell you this because I don't want to distract from, from the value of it. But it was January 2017 to March 2017. So you're like, what? Is that it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The sample size chosen was a convenience sample, and they reviewed over 1,000 annual gynecological preventative visits by all types of clinicians in various degrees of experience between the age and patients that were between the ages of 21 to 35, all right. So yeah, I, I get that. It's a short time span, but it still was was over a thousand annual gynecological visits. And the outcome here was very simple, all right? In those without a complaint, for those who had a pelvic exam, what was the rate of finding a an abnormality during this? Okay. It makes sense, right? we mentioned that this was performed by a variety of practitioners and and that is correct it was attendings it was residents nurse practitioners so it does mimic uh, a real world uh scenario all right so this isn't seasoned gynecologists because you would think wait that's one of the biases right oh are those gynecologists with more than 20 years experience so they can be more uh, accurate in detection of ovarian mass well, that, that's not a thing either, but it did put this between a variety of practitioners to make this applicable to real-world settings. And then th- they took a look to see who is actually symptomatic, who is asymptomatic, and to see if there's any real differences here between the exams and their findings a- across the board from practitioners. In those patients that did report symptoms, the most common symptoms were exactly what you would suspect, right? Vaginal discharge pelvic pain, vaginal bleeding, or request for STI screening. uh, And then some had dyspareunia. So that's okay. I mean, this is the exact reason as a targeted approach. You're supposed to do an exam for those. There were other symptoms that patients reported like irregular periods, uh, dysmenorrhea, amenorrhea, decreased libido, vaginal odor, vaginal itching. Uh, All of those items uh, went into those that were symptomatic. And remember, then they compared that to abnormal findings in those that were asymptomatic. Well, let's just get right to the results here. For the primary outcome of finding something significant, 1.2% of patients who were asymptomatic had abnormal findings on pelvic exam compared with 32% of those with symptoms. Now, yeah, the 32% is low, Um, for those that are symptomatic. But remember, that that actually does make sense if you think about it because let's say they have dyspareunia or uh, dysmenorrhea, you'd expect their vaginal exam to be normal, right? Their pelvic exam to be okay because that's where you do other testing like uh, ultrasound um, or STI eval looking for a VP3 test. So it's okay that it's only 32%. When I first read that, I was like, well, if they're symptomatic. That's all you found is 32%. But the list of symptoms was so broad that it makes sense that only a third would have something found on there. And of course, the most common abnormalities that were found were not ovarian masses or uterine masses. They were related to vaginal discharge. So even though the finding of 32% in those who had symptoms seems low, that's with all symptoms grouped together. If you actually break it up by what the symptom was, like vaginal discharge, obviously that has much more positive diagnostic yield because in this study, 93% of patients who complained of vaginal discharge we're confirmed to have some kind of vaginal discharge, right? So so even though the, the, the 32% look small, only a third, but that's because the list of symptoms was so broad. And then your yield goes up if you're actually looking for something that you can see at, at point of care, uh, like vaginal discharge. And in this study, again, it was 93%. So, so all of that makes sense. All right, so what's the take-home message? Well, in about 1.2% of patients who are completely without symptoms a routine vaginal slash bimanual exam actually found something, 1.2%. And it wasn't stuff that we're really trying to, to have an impact with in with terms of mortality, like ovarian cancer. These were typically things like binding discharge. So this validates, again, this is nothing new, but this is actually the validation from the AAFP, American College of Physicians, ACOG, that yeah, you know what? Um, ask the patient if she wants one. Then that's fine, but but as, as part of routine assessment, just what you do because they're there for an annual exam, that needs to be taken off the table. All right, it is definitely an offering to the patient. Hey, you don't have any symptoms. There's really no value for me to. You know, to put my fingers inside the vagina and, and try to feel for something abnormal. If you feel okay, I'm okay not doing it. Unless you feel uh, that it's in your benefit to get that. That's how I approach that. And I've, I ask patients that, "Hey, you're otherwise, you know, you're 22 years old. Um, you have no symptoms. You're here for your wellness check. Great. You don't have any discharge. I have no business looking down there. Or definitely, you know, putting." fingers inside the vagina uh, because I don't think it helps our clinical decision-making unless you feel more comfortable with us doing this to give you peace of mind. So definitely offer it, but the idea is just not to do it automatically, all right? So one, do it when it's indicated. Two, offer to the patient if it's part of their wellness, or if you don't offer it, at least explain to the patient why you're not doing it so then the patient doesn't think that you forgot something, okay? Uh, And then three, of course is that if they if they're pregnant or have something else going on or high risk factors and that's different but but the whole purpose of this episode is to remind us that routine uh, off the shelf pelvic examination in low risk asymptomatic non-pregnant women yep just not evidence based All right podcast family that brings us to a wrap we have now summarized a new Research Letter, a new retrospective study that is coming out in the Green Journal. This came out on November the 9th. The title is Incidents of Abnormal Findings During Pelvic Examination in Women Age 21 to 35. And the first author is Nicole Norby. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.